At midnight, Yakov Yurovsky, the leader of the executioners, came up the stairs to awaken the family. In his pocket he had a Colt pistol with a cartridge clip containing seven bullets, and under his coat he carried a long-muzzled Mauser pistol with a wooden gunstock and a clip of ten bullets. A knock on the prisoner's door brought Dr. Eugene Botkin, the family physician, who had remained with the Romanovs for sixteen months of detention and imprisonment. Botkin was already awake. He had been writing what turned out to be a last letter to his own family. Quietly, Yurovsky explained his intrusion. "'Because of unrest in the town, it has become necessary to move the family downstairs,' he said. "'It would be dangerous to be in the upper rooms if there was shooting in the street.' Botkin understood. An anti-Bolshevik white army bolstered by thousands of Czech former prisoners of war was approaching the Siberian town of Ekaterinburg, where the family had been held for seventy-eight days.' Already the captives had heard the rumble of artillery in the distance and the sound of revolver shots fired nearby on recent nights. Yurovsky asked that the family dress as soon as possible. Botkin went to awaken them. They took forty minutes. Nicholas, fifty, the former emperor, and his thirteen-year-old son Alexis, the former Tsarevich and heir to the throne, dressed in simple military shirts, trousers, boots, and forage caps. Alexandra, forty-six, the former empress, and her daughters Olga, twenty-two, Tatiana, twenty-one, Marie, nineteen, and Anastasia, seventeen, put on dresses without hats or outer wraps. Yurovsky met them outside their door and led them down the staircase into an inner courtyard. Nicholas followed, carrying his son, who could not walk. Alexis, crippled by haemophilia, was a thin, muscular adolescent weighing eighty pounds, but the Tsar managed without stumbling. A man of medium height, Nicholas had a powerful body, full chest, and strong arms. The Empress, taller than her husband, came next, walking with difficulty because of the sciatica which had kept her lying on a palace chaise long for many years and in bed or a wheelchair during their imprisonment. Behind came their daughters, two of them carrying small pillows. The youngest and smallest daughter, Anastasia, held her pet King Charles Spaniel, Jemmy. After the daughters came Dr. Botkin and three others who had remained to share the family's imprisonment. Trop, Nicholas's valet, Demidova, Alexandra's maid, and Kharetunov, the cook. Demidova also clutched a pillow. Inside, sewed deep into the feathers, was a box containing a collection of jewels. Demidova was charged with never letting it out of her sight. Yurovsky detected no signs of hesitation or suspicion. There were no tears, no sobs, no questions, he said later. From the bottom of the stairs, he led them across the courtyard to a small semi-basement room at the corner of the house. It was only eleven by thirteen feet and had a single window, barred by a heavy iron grill on the outer wall. All the furniture had been removed. Here Yurovsky asked them to wait. Alexandra, seeing the room empty, immediately said, What? No chairs? May we not sit? Yurovsky, obliging, went out to order two chairs. One of his squad, dispatched on this mission, said to another, The heir needs a chair. Evidently he wants to die in a chair. Two chairs were brought. 
Alexandra took one, Nicholas put Alexis in the other. The daughters placed one pillow behind their mother's back and a second behind their brother's. Yurovsky then began giving directions. Please, you stand here and you here. That's it, in a row. Spreading them out across the back wall. He explained that he needed a photograph because people in Moscow were worried that they had escaped. When he was finished, the eleven prisoners were arranged in two rows. Nicholas stood by his son's chair in the middle of the front row. Alexandra sat in her chair near the wall. Her daughters were arranged behind her, and the others stood behind the Tsar and the Tsarevich. Satisfied by this arrangement, Yurovsky then called in not a photographer with a tripod camera and a black cloth, but eleven other men armed with revolvers. Five, like Yurovsky, were Russians. Six were Latvians. Earlier, two Latvians had refused to shoot the young women, and Yurovsky had replaced them with two others.